0: One who came and lived and died was raised that we could have eternal life. Father, we thank you for making a way when there was no way, for giving a, us a way to have eternal life through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray that now, by the power of your Spirit, you would use your word to work in our hearts, to change us, conform us to the image of your Son. I pray if there's anyone here today that might be struggling with you or that, or that hasn't had a time where they've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. But I also pray, Lord, there may be some today that for the, just have wandered from you and they would come back to you, Lord. They would be completely surrendered to you. Lord, uh, have your way in us now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated and welcome. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Children's ministry leaders for serving, as always, really appreciate our different ministries, different ministry leads. As the students head over to Mercury Minds, I'm going to have you uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the Bibles in front of you in the black Bibles. You can find the ninth chapter of Isaiah's prophecy on page 536. How often do we hear a political candidate say that they'll bring peace in their administration? Like, if you elect me, I will shut down that war. How successful have politicians been throughout history in stopping wars? Consider where we are today, 2023. There's a war in Ukraine, in Israel. The Sudan, Ethiopia, the Mexican drug cartels are at war. There's war in Afghanistan, in in Yemen, Somalia, Libya, China, and Taiwan. How about the U.S. Congress? Kind of warring there, aren't they? What about closer to home? We, we, We have wars closer to home in our own homes maybe between spouses or children, a neighbor could be turmoil within our own souls. Ever since the fall of man in Genesis three, we have lived in a world uh, filled with strife and conflict. There is really no real peace out there apart from the peace of Jesus Christ. This is the message Jesus would have shared to the two men on the road to Emmaus. We talked about it last week in, in, uh, in uh, uh, Luke chapter 24. How two men, after, after the crucifixion of Jesus, were walking back seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And as they were, a man came upon them. They didn't know that it was the resurrected Jesus. He said, what are you guys talking about? And, and, and they looked at him and they're like, they were shocked that he didn't know what was going on in Jerusalem. And he said, What things? And they said, About Jesus. We thought he was a prophet. He did mighty things in deed and word. Yet the chief priests and the rulers had condemned him and crucified him. They had hoped that he was the promised Messiah, the one that would redeem Israel. And now it was the third day since the crucifixion. And there were three women that went to the tomb, and they said the tomb was empty. And they had a vision of the angels who said that he was alive. And that's when Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 25, he said this. Let me put it on the screen. Luke chapter 24. We had a problem with our pro-presenter earlier where it was freezing. And I think it's freezing again. There we go. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What was he talking about there? All that the prophets have spoken, the Old Testament. We know that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. He, He says, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? All the prophets had spoken about a Messiah to come who would suffer and die and be raised. And it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, this would have been the greatest Bible study of all time as Jesus, who still had not revealed himself to these men, shared the whole story of salvation starting back in Genesis chapter 1 with the creation of God, where he would have said the creation of God was good, but the sin of man was bad, but the gospel of Jesus is our hope. Jesus would have explained this to them He would have reiterated that since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, there has been strife, there has been conflict, there has been no peace. And we need to look forward to the prince of peace who would come. And I could only imagine as he he went through and recounted all the historical facts that led to the coming of the Christ, that as he got to Isaiah, which some people call the fifth gospel, he would have slowed down at chapter 7 verse 14 which spoke that the virgin would conceive and bear a son. And then he would have gotten to Isaiah chapter 9, and he would have slowed down even more. And his message would have been this. Jesus is the fulfillment of peace to which the scriptures points. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised peace to which scriptures point. See, the time of Isaiah was about 723 years prior to the birth of Christ. It was a time of great gloom and darkness. It was prior to the Assyrian invasion where they would come in and they would destroy the northern part of the kingdom, Israel. And that's where we find ourselves. In fact, in chapter 8, it speaks of the Assyrian invasion because of the continual rejection of God by the nation of Israel. In fact, let me start in chapter 8, verse 22. It says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. I mean, that's like a, a bad movie right there. It just doesn't get worse. Gloom, anguish, thick darkness. Chapter 9. It's a word of hope. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What Isaiah is saying is the answer to all that is bad, to all the strife, to all that is wrong in this world. Is found in the birth of a child. This child would be the prince of peace. In fact, there is no peace apart from this child. Every politician who has ever declared that they would bring peace, the Bible tells us a different story. True peace is not found in a politician, but is found in a child. And so Jesus, as he's walking along the road to Emmaus, he would have said to these men, he would have taught them, he would have said, this this child is your light in the darkness. He would have declared that this child, he is your light in the darkness. Now look again at verse 1 of chapter 9. He says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, past tense. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, in the future, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, when you read the Bible, it's important to understand what these places are. And when he talks about Naphtali and Zebulun, he's talking about two of the 12, 12 tribes of Israel. In the time of Joshua, when Joshua settled, it, you know, conquered the land, they divided the land up into 12 tribes. Up north, you have Naphtali and you have Zebulun. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Jordan River. Uh, Jerusalem is down here. And, and today, and, and and during the time of Jesus, actually, uh, prior to the time of Jesus, you had the nation was divided into you had Israel to the north and Judea to the south. So Isaiah is speaking here about Zebulun and Naphtali. Well, that during Jesus' time, seven hundred years after Isaiah, that was known as the region of Galilee. That's where Capernaum was. That's where Jesus spent most of his ministry. He was born in Nazareth, which is right over here, somewhere near the border of Nephtali and Zebulun. So he's saying here, but there was no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the na- land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, uh, Galilee of the nations. Now, what is this all about? These two regions, they were the first to feel the invasion of the Assyrian army. As part of God's judgment against Israel because of their continued rebellion, he brought the Assyrian army and they came in and they marched over these two regions and they conquered northern Israel. They were the first to feel the Weight of this conquering army, but Isaiah now makes a promise of better days, even though they felt the weight of the army at first. And this is the way the Babylonians came in about 150 years later, they were the first to experience the birth of Christ or to, to experience the life of Christ. That's why it says, But in latter time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the nations. It's a prophecy of a light, of a, of, a, of a time to come. Notice what he says in verse 2. But the people who walked in darkness, speaking of those in Zebulun and Naphtali, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shown the light. He's talking about the fact that this Messiah would walk the land here. The, the Messiah would come. It would be a time where the deep darkness would be overcome by this beautiful light. Matthew in his his gospel he quotes this in fact in Matthew chapter 4 verse 15 he says the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region and shadow in the region and shadow of death on them a light has dawned Matthew is is Matthew was written to the Jews. There's over 60 prophecies of the Messiah to come that are that are quoted in Matthew, or there's at least 60 quotes from the Old Testament in Matthew, and he's doing that because he wants the Jews to understand that this Messiah that has come, this light that is shown, is the promised Messiah. He is that's who Jesus is. This promised light of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 was a sign of hope in the deep darkness. This light had come. This child is your light in the darkness. But secondly, not only that, is he your light in the darkness, but he's your joy in the gloom. He's your joy in the gloom. We saw in chapter 8, verse 22, that this is a time of great anguish and distress and darkness and gloom. And he says now in verse 3 he says you speaking of God you have multiplied the nations you have increased its joy so out of the gloom joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil When he says you have multiplied the nations it's a reminder that God has fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant wherein both Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 God had promised that out of Abraham would come great nations. So here he says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. And how great was their joy? It was joy that you have when there's a great harvest. It was a joy that happens after you defeat an army. And you see it in verse three, when they divide the spoil. Why is that such a big deal? Because they were under incredible oppression. Verse four tells us, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. I mean, you see those three words, yoke and staff and rod. I don't think we as a people in the United States have ever felt that. But they were under great oppression. And yet, God broke that oppression as on the day of Midian. Why is it important to understand the day of Midian? Because the day of Midian harkens back to judges six and seven, to a man named Gideon, who is threshing wheat, where the prophet comes to him and says, "How you doing, almighty man of God?" And like he's looking around like, "Who are you talking to? I'm just threshing wheat." But God used Gideon to defeat the great Midian, to to great to defeat the great army that was surrounding them. And how did he do it? Well, he didn't do it by a great army because he told Gideon to take the army of 32,000, cut it down to 10,000, and then cut it down to 300 people. And, and they didn't even use any elements of war. They used broken glass and and, and jars, and they made noise, but it was, it was God that put, the nation, uh, that put the enemy in confusion. It's a reminder that God is the one that will defeat the enemy. He is the one that can break the oppressor as on the day of Midian. Verse 5, for every brute boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned for fuel as fire. It's a reminder that God can break any oppressor. As God would break the Assyrian army, God would one day break the Roman nation that would oppress Israel. It's a reminder that there's nothing too difficult for God. God is our strength. He is our power. And God would send Jesus into the world as a child to defeat the enemy that we face Our sin, death, and gloom. So Jesus is your joy in the gloom. He is your light in the darkness. Third, he is your peace in the storm. He is your peace in the storm. (sighs) They were getting ready to face a storm of biblical proportions. And yet, verse 6 is the climax of this incredible prophecy. Look at verse 6. For to us. Notice you see in verse 4 and 5 and 6, you see the word for. It's a conjunction. As a result of. How was, this, how was this oppressor broken as on the day of Midian? How, were the, how was uh, the, the warriors broken? And their, their garments burned as fuel for fire. He says, for to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. This child will be the source of light and joy. You see these two emphatic nouns right here in verse, verse 6. He says, for uh, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The, the child speaks of his Humanity. A child is born. He was born of a woman, but a son is given. We know that that's the seed of the Messiah, the virgin birth, the virgin conception, that he would be given. It's a reminder of John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The son was, was given. It was a gift of God. The child was born. He was fully man. He was fully God. Ray Ortland speaks of this. He says this. He says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians and all the big shots of this world that he can defeat them by coming as a mere child. It's a great word. The son will be born to the nation of Israel. He's the promised son of David. He will be given. This is the seed of the woman as promised in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Where the seed of the woman, he will crush the head of the serpent. It affirms what Isaiah said in chapter 7 verse 14. Let me go there again. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want to keep it there for a minute. This prophecy, as as well as all the other prophecies in the Old Testament, they kind of blow my mind. The the fact that there's hundreds of prophecies that perfectly speak of the Messiah to come, all perfectly fulfilled. I, I once read... A statistician that said, if Jesus were to fulfill only eight of those prophecies, I hope I get this right, if he were just to complete only eight of those prophecies, it would be one in 10 to the 17th power. The the, the ability to do that, one in 10 to the 17th power. That's like 17 zeros. And then he he gave an illustration, and he said it would be like taking silver dollars and taking one of those silver dollars and putting a red X on it. And, And then what you do is you cover the whole state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep. And somewhere in the state of Texas, you drop that one silver dollar with the red X. And then you blindfold somebody, and you're walking through the state of Texas through the hill country, through the piney woods of eastern Texas, through the flatlands of the west Texas, and you reach down and you pick up one. That would be, and, and, and it's the one with the, the red X, that would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a work of God. God is sharing That this seed of the woman would come and be the Messiah. And then you get to chapter 9. And he says, for to us a child is born. Born of a woman. To us a son is given. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing to even comprehend. That's why Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says this. I think we have that. There we go. She will bear a son. This is the angel who's speaking to Joseph. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will come, and he will save his people from their sins. God's answer to everything wrong with this world, as Ray Ortland said, is a child. And this child would come and rule and reign. Notice what it says uh, at the end of verse 6. It says, and, uh, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is our peace. He's the one that reigns and rules. Let me tell you why he's our peace. First of all, he's our peace because he's the counselor with the wisdom to comfort and direct you. Wonderful Counselor. Let me ask you. Where do you go for counsel? Like we can go to all the wrong places for counsel. We can go to a mother-in-law. I'm not against mother-in-laws. We can go to Oprah. I'm against Oprah. We, we <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. We can go to traditions. We can go to what the culture says. Or we can go to the wonderful Counselor. Second Peter one three says his divine power has given us all things for life and godliness. God is the one who created us and sustains us. He knows us. He knows the very depths of our souls. He know the, He knows the intention of our thoughts. Why would we go anywhere other than to God's word? He is the one with the wisdom to comfort and just and to direct you. Yet so many. In darkness, walking in darkness, instead of going to the prince of peace, they go to the shifting sands of man's wisdom. That's why Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and vain deceit, according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. See, to us, a son is given. He is the counselor that you need. That's why we should go to him. We should rely on him. We should not be just a hearer of his wisdom, but we should be a doer of his wisdom. We should apply what God has called us to in our lives. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. Yet we go everywhere but to him. He is our wonderful counselor, the one with the wisdom to comfort and direct you. But not only that, he's the God whose power strengthens you. He has the power to strengthen you. He's a mighty God. I was thinking about this this week. There are times where I am guilty of minimizing God's power. Am I the only one in the room? We don't really trust in God's power. Yet he's the God who broke the power of Midian. He's the same God that breaks the power of our strongholds today. He empowers us To live a godly life. He has the power to save us. That was exhibited on the cross. When he took upon himself the sin of mankind. He died a sacrificial death in our place. He was God's perfect lamb. And he has the power to take our guilt and shame. He has the power to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He has the power to break the shackles of your deepest bondage. He has the power to allow you to live victoriously, no matter what's going on in your life. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, when I am weak, then I am made strong. See, Isaiah was looking forward to mighty God who would one day come. And set us free from guilt and shame. He is the mighty God. But not only is he mighty God. But he is the father who adopts us into his family. He's an everlasting father. He's the father who in love sent his son to die for you. When you're in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. He's eternal. He's everlasting. There is nothing we can do to be saved. And there's, since there's nothing we can do to be saved other than put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's nothing we can do to lose our salvation. His love for us is vast and deep. We've all had imperfect fathers. Some of us have had bad fathers. Some of us have had absent fathers. But we all have in Christ an everlasting father who is a good father, who is a loving father, who is a caring father. He loves us without condition. He loves you without condition. That's the everlasting father. So no matter what your earthly father was or wasn't like, you have an eternal father. Who loves you unconditionally meaning without condition and when you mess up and you will don't run from him but run to him it's kind of like the prodigal son when he got to the end of himself in luke chapter 15 verse 17 he just he remembered his father and he decided to go back to his father and when he did I mean, his father wasn't there with his arms crossed, just tapping his foot. It's like saying it's about time. Now he ran to him and embraced him. He said, we're going to have a party. There's some of you that maybe have strayed from the father and you need to come back to him. And we'll party with you. We would love to celebrate that with you. What an amazing thing. He's the father who adopts us into his family. Let me ask you. Have you been adopted to his family? There's only one way you can be adopted. And that's by putting your faith in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Not only is he the father who adopts us into his family. But he is the Christ who brings real peace to you. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And notice verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is a lasting peace. People look for peace in all the wrong places. And the Bible says that our sin has separated us from God. The fact is we're at enmity with God. And peace doesn't come through military victories. Peace doesn't come from treaties. Peace doesn't come from a political party. It doesn't come from a candidate. Peace comes from the prince of peace. The peace of God comes only through the God of peace. That's Jesus. And there is no end to this peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and from evermore. And I love what he says at the end of this verse. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Take it to the bank. God is in control. He will fulfill what he has prophesied. And we know 2,000 years ago, in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, 4, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem man back to himself. It's an amazing thing. There is no end to this peace. And the fact is, there is war around us, but the real war is within us. And it's only through Jesus Christ can you have real peace in your heart. In fact, listen to what Isaiah says later on in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 7 talks about a coming child. Isaiah 9 talks about a coming child. Isaiah 53 talks about what this child would accomplish. But he, being this child, Jesus, this is the prophet looking forward 700 years, prophesying what Christ would do. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Speaks to the cross. This was before the cross was even invented. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. It is through the death of Christ on the cross that we can have peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Healed of our sin nature. Healed of our, of our, of our shame. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It speaks of the substitutionary death of Christ in our place. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He became sin, Jesus became sin, who knew no sin, that we might receive the righteousness of God. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when Jesus died on the cross, God placed all all of our sin, past, present, and future, on Christ. And so for those of us that receive Christ, we now, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to our account. It's an amazing thing. Isaiah 9, 6 is a prophecy that was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus, the one who would bring peace an everlasting peace. So, how does he bring us that peace? I kind of talked about it, but let's fast forward to Ephesians chapter two. I'm going to ask you to turn to chapter two. If you, Ephesians chapter two. If you don't, if you have a black Bible, uh, you can find Ephesians chapter two on page 917. If you're wondering about where it is in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you've got Acts and Romans, you've got 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you've got the General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And we see here that our peace is found in the gospel of Jesus, which Paul speaks about in Ephesians chapter 2. He reminds us first that before Christ, you were alienated. You were alienated. You were separated from God. Look what Ephesians 2 says, verse 11. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you Gentiles before you were in Christ, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The Gentiles were the uncircumcised, the Jews were the circumcised, and they had nothing to do with each other. In fact, they hated each other. As bad as it is in Israel and with the Palestinians today, it was that much worse between the Jews and the Gentiles. That's just to give you a picture. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, here it is, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, I'm like, how much hope did they have? None. None. There, There was no hope. Having no hope and without God in the world. Prior to Christ, that's our condition. Alienated, separated, excluded from. Strangers with no hope, without God. Facing wrath and eternal death. The fact is, if God didn't act, there would be no eternal hope. But he did act. How? He sent his son, born of a virgin, born of the seed of the promise, to redeem you. So that leads us to this. Our peace is found in the gospel. So in Christ, you've been reconciled. In Christ, you've been reconciled. We see that in verse 13. But now. It's one of the great buts in the Bible. But now, notice, in Christ, not knowing about Christ, but in Christ, being in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. You were alienated, you were separated, you had no hope. But because of the blood of Christ on the cross, you have now been brought near. You've been brought near. To God. You were as far from God as you could be. But because of what Christ did. This child. You've been brought near. You've been reconciled. Jesus went to the cross as a sacrifice for sin. And when you put your faith and trust in him. You now can be brought near. And that's what leads us to true peace. Real peace. So third, in Christ, you have peace. In Christ, you have peace. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Who? Jesus. He, is not, he does not only bring us peace, he is our peace. When Jesus is in you, you have the peace of God because he is the God of peace. For he himself is our peace who made us both one, who made both the Jews and the Gentiles one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace that imagery, you got to understand that when he says, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of, of, hostility It's a picture of the Temple Mount. And I want to put this up for you real quick. We should have it. Okay. This is a depiction. It's not a real picture. Of the Temple Mount. Massive. This is the actual temple. Inside the temple you have the holy place. And then within the veil you have the Holy of Holies. Which was where the Ark of the Covenant was. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make, make, make a, a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And 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 just once a year. But then you had the holy place where there were, there would be certain sacrifices. But out here is the court of the Jews. And then outside of that, you have the court of the women. And outside of that, you have the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles were separated from the Jews by the court of women. But they were as far from the center of the temple where the Holy of Holies were, where God would come on occasion and dwell. They were as far as they could be. But because of what Jesus Christ did, it says here he tore down the dividing wall of hostility. So this wall between that divided the, the court of the uh, women from the court of the Gentiles, through his flesh he tore it down, making the two one. That's an amazing picture. So not only did he bring peace between Jew and Gentile, between man and man, but 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 peace between man and God. He reconciles us to God. Now we have peace with God. But he's also broken down the dividing wall of hostility between man and man. So we now have peace with one another and peace with God. For through him, or actually verse 17, And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, speaking of the Gentiles, and you who were near, speaking of the Jews. Like, they were near, but they weren't there. They were closer, but it is only through Christ that we can have a relationship with God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You can't, there is no other way to come to Christ. It is all, I mean, come to, could come to God. It is only through Christ. There is salvation in no other name by which we must be saved. That is Jesus Christ. Verse 18, for through him. Through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. In Christ, you've been reconciled. In Christ, you have peace. And that's why Romans 5.1 tells us, Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God, which leads us to this. In Christ, you are part of God's family. Look at verse 19. In Christ, you are part of God's family. So then, as a result of all of this, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You were alienated, but no longer. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So now, you are a bunch of aints. Now you're saints. What an amazing thing. And you're members of the household of God. We are members of God's household. What a beautiful thing. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together. That speaks of our growth as we grow in God's word into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Going back to the road to Emmaus, you can just imagine as Jesus is explaining this to these guys. I mean, we had hoped that he was the Messiah. And Jesus, in this Bible study on the road to Emmaus, he's reminding them. It's like he he teaches all of this from Moses and the prophets, all the things concerning himself. When you start reading the prophecies. And see the fulfillment. You can't help but be overwhelmed. And the fact that we're now one with Christ. Speaks of our union with Christ. So not only when we get saved do we die with Christ. But there will be a day we are raised with Christ. We will be resurrected with Christ. That's our eternal destiny. We spend eternity in heaven. Listen. Right now today you can have the peace of God knowing you're Your eternal destiny is secure. There is no peace apart from Christ. There's none. Because we're just wondering. Like, when my parents passed away, there was no peace. Because they didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, we tried to explain it to them. They never received Christ. We have the opportunity today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as they do, I just want to remind you Jesus is your light in the darkness. He's your joy in the gloom. He's your peace in the middle of the storm. In Christ, there will be a day we are raised with him to a glorious eternity. And for that, we can celebrate. Father, I thank you. For these truths, Lord, we know your word is truth. Thank you for the fact that, Lord, when there was no way for us to have eternal life, you made a way. And you did that by sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world, God becoming a man. Put on flesh. Died a sacrificial death in our place and was raised that we could have eternal life. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we look forward to the day when we will be resurrected with you to eternal glory. But until that day, Lord, help us to make a difference in this world. Help us to be peacemakers as we reflect the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Amen.